If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson, this comes from Psalms, chapter 1. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like chafe that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Today begins our three-week sermon series on the Psalms. And I am slightly concerned that this does not sound interesting to anyone, and not just because I am terrible at coming up with flashy sermon titles or sermon series titles. I'm concerned it doesn't sound interesting because I actually do not know anyone who thinks, yes, finally, a sermon series on the Psalms. It's my favorite book of the Bible. To be fair, the Psalter can be described as disturbing. Many people object to the imprecatory Psalms, those Psalms which call down curses and disaster on one's enemies. Psalm 10 calls on God to break the arm of the wicked and evildoers. Psalm 58 hopes their foe vanishes like water that runs away, like grass trodden down and withered, like the snail that dissolves into slime. And Psalm 140 asks God to let the psalmist's enemies be flung into pits, no more to rise. Yikes. Not everyone feels that way about the Psalms, of course. The 5th century monk John Casson had an annoyingly positive relationship with the Psalms to describe how the soul of a monk arrives at purity of prayer. He wrote, the monk moves so deeply into the thinking of the Psalms that he sings them not as though they had been composed by a prophet, but as if he himself had written them, as if this were his own private prayer 
uttered amidst the deepest compunction of heart. That kind of reflection makes me feel about as spiritual as a can of green beans. But the art monk articulates something very important about the Psalms. As a collection of prayers, the Psalms give expression to a wide range of human emotions, from anger and agony to joy and thanksgiving. They are prayers offered from the ground up, and the words of the Psalms are marked by a certain rawness, vulnerability, and unmitigated honesty. For this reason, the Psalms have the power to reflect for us the full spectrum of our own experiences, not only our prayers of praise, but also the difficult things we have to say to God about grief and loss and doubt and injustice. The Psalms permit and even sanctify a way of being with God and with one another that is characterized by real candor and authenticity. We are, in turns, both frightened and fascinated by the familiarity of the Psalms. They were written by someone more like us than not. They were written by people who knew the joy and grief, victory and defeat, comfort and dread, who knew what it meant to be abandoned, to want revenge, people who were desperately looking for forgiveness. And they let that spill all over the pages like a knocked over cup of coffee. And it's, it's a bit too messy for most of us. I mean, clean up on aisle eight, feelings should be kept in check, neatly boxed up, especially if we're talking to God. Prayers shouldn't be overly emotional, much less honest. But the Psalms model something very different, very different. As theologian Ellen Davis writes, sometimes the psalmist's freedom before God is astonishing. It confounds all ordinary teachings about prayer. For instance, Psalms 39 and 88 are unremitting accusations directed against God's supposed forgetfulness, contempt, and enmity toward the faithful. In Psalm 39, the psalmist actually demands less of God's unwelcome attention. Turn your gaze from me so I may show some cheer before I go away and am no more. The psalmist trusts that God expects us to be authentic, which leads me to believe that the psalmist has been through some things and knows that the first step to recovery is admitting there's a problem. And perhaps just as important, the psalmist reaches out for help. So it is that a sermon series on the Psalms might be helpful in this particular moment of our lives. A bit of a roadmap for the weeks ahead. Hebrew Bible scholar Walter Brueggemann groups the Psalms into three categories, Psalms of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And that's how I've divided up these sermons. We start, perhaps ironically, with psalms of orientation. Ironic because psalms of orientation are marked by an absence of tension. Friends are plentiful and health is sound. And they frequently allude to an 
undisturbed equilibrium. Of all the phrases used to describe this current time in history, undisturbed equilibrium hasn't been nominated. Challenging, uncertain, difficult, mm -hmm, but not calm, not free of tension. But still, to study psalms of orientation right now can be instructive. Psalms of orientation include three subgenres. Wisdom psalms that speak about how to live a fruitful life, as in Psalm 119, happy are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Then there are songs of Zion, which in the theological imagination of the psalmist is the center of God's presence, where one most fully experiences spiritual peace and wholeness. As in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. And the third subgenre are creation songs, which express wonder and awe at the universe like Psalm 104. O oh Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide, creeping things, innumerable are there, living things, both small and great. I am convinced the psalmist was an ancient list maker. Perhaps I want to think of them as a list maker because I am a list maker. I love lists. Or maybe it is more accurate to say that I, I love crossing off things on lists. Such satisfaction in drawing that thin line through the task. Not too thick of a line because you still want to be able to read what it was that you have accomplished, of course. I, I know there are people who are not list makers, and I don't understand why they don't want to be happy. Of course, there are perfectly good reasons to not be a list person. Lists do not actually guarantee an organized life or that everything is accounted for or that satisfaction isn't automatically felt upon tying up a loose end. You may think this is self-serving since I have already admitted to being a list maker, but I think that list-making can be a spiritual practice. Writer Marilyn McIntyre thinks so. She believes that every time she makes a list, she learns something new, observing that things come up. Sometimes it seems that the less I plan or try to foresee what might belong on a list, the more I find out. So I just start in. Things to do before the weekend people to get back to, nagging anxieties. Even if the heading seems rather ho-hum or borders on the cliche, the process brings surprises. If I stay with it long enough, she writes, to get beyond the obvious, buy groceries, return the phone call, check email, get the oil changed, something not so obvious occurs, and the list shifts from list to something more. 
take a walk by the river with no phone, pick up snack bars to keep in the car in case I cross paths with someone who needs one, write to a grandchild about their science project. This is important information. In the process of making a list, I generally find that I can, as a therapist used to advise, go to the place in me that knows. Line by line, I can take myself there. It's a place of deep, lively, sometimes amusing, sometimes daunting encounter with the self, and often an encounter with the indwelling spirit who is more present, available, reliable, and forgiving than we may think. I am convinced that the psalmist was a list maker because they wrote an entire book of prayers, and prayers often begin as lists, lists of concerns, lists of people in need of care, lists of gratitude, lists of fears, lists of joys, lists of to-dos. Even prayers of orientation are lists. It seems to me that Psalm 1, a wisdom psalm, is a list of what makes a person happy. Happy are those, perhaps better translated as fulfilled, a list of ways of being that lead to goodness and stability. You can hear it in that second verse. Their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on the Lord's law they meditate day and night, which suggests routine practice of study and prayer. Or, as the Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As the psalmist was listing the things that lead to a fulfilled life, that naturally led to thinking about the other side of the coin of what leads to a life unfulfilled, a life of indifference, of troublemaking. So the psalmist made a list of how a person might avoid ending up like the wicked. Do not follow the advice of the wicked or take the path that sinners tread or sit in the seat of scoffers. If we were to ask what it means today to sit in the seat of scoffers, the closest thing we might come up with is our place on the couch in front of the television, staring at talking heads, listening to commentary and opinions and name-calling. And that is not thinking about what is excellent and what is good. And that, of course, is not to say that we should stick our heads in the sand and turn the news off completely, but there is a difference between consuming the 24-hour news cycle versus being engaged and informed. So I have some homework for us this week. Um, you can call it a spiritual practice if that makes it sound holier to you. Our homework is to make some lists. I invite you this week to consider what it means to be oriented, to have one's bearings, to be in a place of knowing. 
let us make a list of those noble and righteous things of which Paul wrote. On what shall we train our minds to think? What might lead us to a fulfilled life? What are those practices? It can help to be specific. And perhaps if we are playful, if we sit with it long enough, if we believe there is more to listen for, the list might surprise us. We might find some momentum, a line that resonates with possibility. Perhaps this list of the excellent and praiseworthy things to which we commit our minds will then lead our hearts to follow suit. And to continue following the example of the psalmist, let's make another list of those routines that wouldn't be included in a list of things that are just and honorable and commendable and excellent. The practices that aren't helpful or fulfilling, but we haven't let go of quite yet, even though they do not serve us. What keeps us in the rut? What drags us into the quicksand? What do we consume that does not sustain? What lies do we keep telling ourselves? And it may be helpful to think about the people who we aren't particular fans of and consider what behavior of theirs we are also actually doing. If we are honest with ourselves, it may be that we act in the same ways that we criticize others for doing. Sometimes we only notice when it's written down on paper. Seasons of orientation are characterized by orderliness, goodness, and a deep and abiding sense of well-being. But we may not even recognize seasons of orientation because we take them for granted. Everything is so good, why be too introspective? We can even be lulled into thinking that our well-being is solely a product of our hard work and talents instead of interwoven with other people and the rest of creation. A list of a fulfilled life will keep us grounded and grateful. Or, or if we are so deep into a season of disorientation that we can't remember what it is like to be in a season of orientation, this might remind us. Maybe it will serve as a lifeline, help us find our way, help us make an adjustment or a course correction. So let's make our lists and may we encounter the indwelling spirit who is always more present, more available, more reliable, and more forgiving than we may think. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m., with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.